Today we will be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. And, and what we will see in this extraordinary passage today is our Savior's birth. And I don't think it was um, by mere chance that we would get to participate in communion and then the teaching for today would be on the Savior's birth. It's kind of like two bookends almost. Um, and I think that's just kind of amazing how God works those things out. And so what we get to see in this passage is, is we get to see God's sovereign hand in having Caesar issue a decree, a, a census of all people forcing Joseph and Mary to go to, to Joseph's homeland. We see our Savior's humble birth being born with nowhere to lay his head except for a feeding trough. A wooden feeding trough. It's where the Son of God had to lay his head the first day he was born. However, we also get to see the, the Savior's purpose as in a nearby region, the angels declare to a couple of shepherds that this Savior's purpose has come to bring great news or good news and great joy to all of the people. And finally, what we get to see is the Savior's transformation, how when you have been transformed by the Savior or when the Savior reveals Himself to you, you cannot help but glorify and worship and treasure these things in your heart. And so starting in verse 1 of chapter 2, we see in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. 
When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had, all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. When I was in college, I was a lifeguard for a year. And particularly how the, the pool area was set up was, was the pool was right in front of the lifeguard station, but then right behind in the same area was the hot tub. And this was a particularly slow day. And when I mean slow, I mean for the last hour, there had been nobody who had shown up. Until this young freshman student came walking in, happy, noticed he had the pool all to himself, took a couple of laps, and then sat in the hot tub. And so normally what I would do is, if, if I could do this, is start a conversation. Now, it was, it was a Bible college, so I usually knew how the conversation would go. And, and how I would usually direct it is just asking about the person, asking them how God had saved them. And what I had found out quickly is that this young student loved to talk. It's one of those people who in the matter of five minutes I already knew their life story. I had found out that he had been born in India, then was moved to New York, ended up becoming a Christian, he was a Hindu, had a girlfriend that it seemed like, oh, he just loved and adored so much because that's how most of the conversation went. <laughs> oh, you're a married college student, Max? Uh, how, can, how can I do that too? <laughs> but he ended up becoming a Christian while in New York, which caused a lot of dissension with his uncle that he had moved in with. And because of him becoming a Christian, his, his uncle didn't want to tell his parents because then his uncle not only would be um, disapproved, but he would also be shamed because here's this boy who became a Christian underneath his watch. But this student that I was talking to had kept on telling me how he just had this burden for his people and he had to go back. And one of the stories, and this story will always stick with me forever, was what he told me when he was a child. He said when he was a child, his, his grandfather was, was kind of the sage of the little town that he had lived in, the wise man. And he said in Hindu culture, in this little town, every so often the sage would be able to appoint a child to be looked at as a god. 
This child then for the next year would be the, the God, the representative of the town, where if you wanted to bring them food, you wanted to do anything to earn favor with the God of the town, you could. He said as a child, it at first was cool because he kept on getting gifts after gifts after gifts. That food would always be brought to him. Shirts and clothes would always be made for him. But he said after a while, it got really strange when people would come to the house and, and bow and start to pray. And he looked at me and he said, this is why I must go back is because these people looked at me as their God for a year. However, what we know to be true is that no matter how perfect, how God-like we want to be, we can't. We, we cannot save ourselves from the wrath of God. As perfect as we wish to be, the law of God just shows us differently. And he was explaining that to me. How many times I had to hide and make trouble so that way I wouldn't bring dishonor to the God that I was supposed to represent. And he went on to tell me, Max, this is, this is why we need a Savior, because we are not perfect. And what this passage teaches us today is that the Savior of the world brings salvation and transformation. But how? Well, we have to look at the beginning. Starting in verses 1 through 3, well, starting in verses 1 through 7, we'll see the Savior's birth. But if we look at verses 1 through 3, we'll see how God is mapping all of this out. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Now, was it coincidence that Caesar had issued this registration? Did Caesar hear about the young Jewish family who was about to give birth? It was a virgin birth, a miraculous birth, and they needed this birth to happen in Bethlehem. So Caesar, thinking, I'll get the ball rolling on this, I'll help out. said, I'll issue a registration. Well, of course not. Caesar wasn't caring about a poor, little, obscure, little Bethlehem. Caesar was not paying attention to this little Jewish family. And so, what we see this passage starting out with, and what we see the Savior's birth looking like, is that God's hand is providentially and sovereignly ruling through it from the beginning. And as we continue on, we see how God will fulfill this prophecy of the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. As we continue to read in verses 4 and 5, we see, And Joseph, 
also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So what we see is Joseph packs his bags and heads out of town. And he takes his betrothed wife with him. But the question here that we have to ask is, why did Mary go? See, in those days, it wasn't customary for the wife or the betrothed woman to go with. So Mary didn't have to go. So why did she go? Well, some things that we could think of is, well, maybe because Joseph didn't want to miss the birth of of their son, he wanted Mary to come with. But maybe it was that Joseph and Mary knew that this was the town's gossip, and Joseph now is blowing out of town while Mary is about to give birth, and so they want to come. They want her to come. Well, as we saw a bit earlier in chapter 1, we saw that Mary knew God's word. She was a faithful Jewish woman, and as was Joseph, who faithfully attended synagogue. And so she must have heard the promises over and over again how this Savior was to be born in Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph had both had encounters with angels that told them this. See, so Mary and Joseph must have known what Micah had said. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And so we see yet again the obedience of this Jewish family and Mary deciding to go on a 80 to 90 mile journey with her husband when she was nine months pregnant. In verses 6 through 7, we then get to the birth of Jesus. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. It is not specified when Mary had given birth, but we know that while they were there in Bethlehem, she had given birth. And oh, the, the poor innkeeper who continues to get uh, uh, hate mail after hate mail. Maybe one of the most misconstructed um, things about Christmas is that there was no place for them at the inn and it's the innkeeper's fault. But you have to to think about if if there was a registration going on and everybody was supposed to go home, then this little town of Bethlehem was packed to the walls. It's not that he looked at them and he, he said, no, I don't want you in here. It's that Bethlehem was packed. And so Mary and Joseph went looking for a place. No, not the barn. 
Scripture never tells us that they went to a barn. But we do know that they were close enough to animals where when this Savior was born, He was laid in a wooden manger. You know, it's amazing to think about that the Savior of the world, God Himself, would be laid in a wooden feeding trough. His first night would not be spent in luxury, but instead a a small place. Some commentators even believe it could have been a cave laid in a feeding trough near animals. So instead of this king triumphantly coming, being laid in in gold and silk sheets, was laid in was swaddled in clothing and laid in a, in a feeding trough. Not even a, a normal baby would have been laid in a feeding trough. But yet Jesus, not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, humbled Himself to the point of when He was born being laid in a feeding trough. One thing that puzzles me about America's mother country, you know, the country across the pond, is their fascination with the royal, uh, with the royal babies. Uh, this past month, in, in May, another royal baby had been born. And, and from my research that I was doing, this was the, the great-grandchild of, queen, of the queen. And this child would have been eighth, or is eighth in line, to, get, uh, to, to become the, the king. And yet, I don't know if you had watched the news about this, but yet people lined the streets for this child. News cameras went up to people asking them, what do you think the name of this child is going to be? How, 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 many, how much is he going to weigh? How, when is he going to be born? You know, the, the questions that are usually asked at baby showers. But the streets were, were lined and everybody was anticipating for this royal grandchild, the one who is eighth in line to the throne. Not even second, but eighth in line to the throne. And they were lining the streets. But do you know your Savior is a humble Savior? Do you know your Savior is a humble Savior who is approachable? Here is this child who is eighth in line to the throne and everyone is is coming out to celebrate. But yet our Savior, God, humbled Himself, was born of a virgin, laid in a feeding trough when He was born. And I must say there is a huge difference between the royal child that was born this past month and the royal child that was born 2,000 years ago. Purpose. 
Now the royal child that was born last month has a purpose. As he grows up, we'll see what that is. But this child from eternity past had an eternal purpose. And so we see in verses 18 through 15 the Savior's purpose. And when we read in verses 8 and 9, we see to whom. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel of the Lord went to shepherds. Are you familiar with what a shepherd was like during this time? Shepherds were known as the scum of the earth. They were viewed as the most outcast in the Jewish family. They were viewed as the most unclean. They were so dirty that people did not want to be around them. They were so untrustworthy that they weren't actually allowed to testify in court because people did not believe in their, when they would testify. They were dirty. They were untrust, untrusting. They were also unclean in Jewish custom because their job required them to work 24 hours, seven days a week. They were never able to go to synagogue to cleanse themselves. These men were rough, tough, dirty, and looked at as the least likely. Nobody wanted their job, and nobody wanted to interact with them, lest they think that they were unclean as well. But yet, what this passage tells us is that the angel of the Lord goes to these shepherds. But why? Because of God's plan. We are told in verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12, what this is. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. This is an extraordinary part of this passage because the angel of the Lord goes to these shepherds and then, he, and then the angel explains to the shepherds the plan of God. Fear not, shepherds, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be to who? To all people. So listen up, shepherds. Listen to this good news of great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the message that is to all people. This is the good news of great joy to all people that today a Savior has been born. Christ the Lord. And what is amazing is that those three terms for the Messiah are the only terms in the Gospels attributed 
to Jesus, Savior Christ and Lord. And who is told this? None other than the outcast shepherds. None other than the unclean shepherds. The least likely. The ones who are viewed as the outcasts. Oh, and I must say this, that this is the same message for us as well. This is the good news of great joy that is also extended to all people today. That a Savior has been born. And He is Christ our Lord. He has lived a perfect life according to the righteous requirement of the law. He died in our place taking the wrath of God. Dying and being buried three days, rising again so that all who repent of their sins can have faith and eternal life with this glorious King. And that is why I, I think it's no, not an accident that today we would be talking about the birth of Jesus, but yet celebrating His death, burial, and resurrection. And this plan is still being acted out today. So if you are in here and, and you do not believe in this message, I would ask you to seriously consider what this means for you. would ask that you would seriously consider of repenting and trusting in this Savior who humbled Himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. What we see next continues this extraordinary event. We see what it looks like to praise God Verses 13 through 15, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom He is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which is the Lord has made known to us. What an extraordinary event this must have been. The shepherds out in the field minding their own business. A burst of light comes through the darkness. They are awestruck and told by the angel, do not be afraid. They are told this glorious news, that good news of great joy has come to all people. That the Savior, the Christ Lord, has been born. And immediately after that, what do we see? We see an angelic host of people praising the name of Jesus for being born. Why? Because they know what is about to happen. They know that this is great news. Right? It is told to us in Scripture that, an angel, that the angels rejoice over the repentance of one lost sinner. And so now we see a multitude of angels praising and glorifying God because they know that this perfect Savior is about to die for the sins of His people. John may have had his relatives there and neighbors to rejoice with him. 
And Zechariah may have bursted out into song and people may have wondered and marveled at that beautiful song and and the royal child that was born a month ago may have had the streets lined with people. Oh, but our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had the angelic choir singing for Him. And that is an incomparable, uh, that is incomparable to the other two that the angelic choir bursted out into song knowing that their Savior was now on earth to start His mission. Ah, but you may be thinking, how then does God's purpose affect me? Before time itself began and earth was formed, the Father and the Son had made an eternal pact. The Son had promised that He would be sent to die for the sins of His people. And this is great and glorious news and this is why we gather to praise God's name. This is why our lives look totally different from the world or why they should. It's because of this Savior's life and death and His buying back His people. But it is possible you may be thinking, I can't trust these shepherds. Max, you just had got done telling me that shepherds weren't even allowed to testify in court. So why should we trust these shepherds? Well, if we continue on, we see what it looks like when you meet the Savior, you are transformed. In verses 16 through 20, we see this. And if we start in 16 and 18, 16 through 18, we see what the transformation in the shepherds' lives looked like right away. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. We see that the shepherds were transformed. Because right away they obediently go and tell Mary and Joseph what had been told them. What an extraordinary sight this must have been. I wish I was a fly on the wall. As these shepherds go with haste, and as I said a couple of weeks ago, haste means hurry. They they quickly went, so they, they made arrangements for somebody to watch their sheep, or they may have even just left their sheep. And they went with haste to go and find Mary and Joseph and this this child who was lying in a feeding trough which was foreign to them. And so they go and they find this child and they start to explain to Joseph and Mary the encounter with the angels that they just had. Oh, I wish I was a fly on the wall for that conversation as these dirty shepherds walk in and see their Savior lying in that feeding trough. Mary and Joseph confused, maybe startled. Joseph maybe concerned and ready to fight. And maybe the conversation went something like this. You are the 
the Savior, the Savior's mother and father. Not that Joseph and, and Mary were their father and mother, uh, but, but the babies, you're the baby's parents. You're looking after this, this child. This is what was just told to us. And an angel of the Lord just came to us and said, it's with good news of great joy that I, I tell you, and this is for all the people that in the city of Bethlehem, the town of David, a Savior has been born. Christ the Lord. And I imagine Joseph and Mary's face, their mouths just dropping. And Mary and Joseph telling them the encounter they had with the angels, with the angel Gabriel. Mary saying, yes, the angel of the Lord came to me too. I was told, I was told by the angel Gabriel that the Savior would be born of me. And all of the people around wondered at what was happening. But what we see also in this part is that when a life is transformed by the Savior, you cannot help but treasure the Savior. And we see in verses 19 and 20 what this treasuring looks like. As the shepherds got done telling Mary about their encounter, Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. We see in the passage what it looks like for Mary to treasure these sayings. And we see what it looks like for the shepherds to treasure these sayings. And it would come in handy for Mary as she would be there watching this child of hers, this baby boy who she had and had to lay him in a manger, as she saw him being crucified, she would have to remember these sayings. And this is my exhortation to us, brothers and sisters, that we must aim to treasure these sayings in our hearts. Because suffering times come. And if we have not treasured these promises in our hearts, then we will be gasping and grabbing for air as we drown underneath depression, anxiety, and stress. But we also see how the shepherds responded by treasuring this saying. How they treasured their Savior. They treasured their Savior by returning and glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds went back totally and utterly transformed in hearts. And their lives were completely different. They were the outcasts, but now they were coming back boldly glorifying and praising the name of this Savior. Are we a people at Community Church who tell about and treasure our Savior? I once was lost living in my sins, indulging in what I thought would satisfy me. 
In fact, brothers and sisters, I was way worse off. I was a double-minded man. I was attending church. I was going to things. I was a part of what was called the youth council. But yet, outside of that, my life was completely and utterly 180 degrees different. Living a lie to my parents who thought I was a crate child. My teachers who thought I was a hard worker and my coaches who thought I was coachable. Yet behind the scenes, I could outcuss any sailor and I was constantly thinking about my own desires, slandering and gossiping about people, only living for myself. And then on that night, when God transformed my heart, when He showed me the Savior's purpose of His, his death for me, now, I can't say I fully treasured Jesus, but that treasure was there. Are we a people who tell and treasure our Savior? Or are we double-minded people? It is a great truth. It is a great truth that we tell what we treasure. And we treasure what we tell. What is it that you treasure and tell? What is it that you tell and treasure? And some of you may be feeling conviction of the Holy Spirit that you haven't been treasuring or telling. And so what do we, what do, we do with that? Well, first, let us go to the Father in humility, repenting of our sins, treasuring the creation over the Creator. Secondly, let us pray and ask that we would treasure this Savior more. If a wicked father knows how to give good gifts, how much better gifts will your Heavenly Father give you if you ask? Oh, community church, let us be a church that is persistently knocking at the door, wanting to treasure Jesus more daily, asking Him every single day, Father, let me treasure Your Son more today than I did yesterday. I believe. Help my unbelief. I want to tell people about Your Son but I get stressed and anxious. Let us pray and ask for boldness. Let us pray and ask for obedience. Let us persistently pray that. And then thirdly, let us be obedient as we work as laborers. I can't help but think how ironic, would, how ironic it would be if a farmer came to me and and said, I, I just don't understand. I'm not seeing anything grow. I, I just don't understand this. 
And if my question to him were to be, well, how many, pl- how many seeds did you plant and how much did you water and were you out tilling the ground and, and were you working? And him say, no, but I don't understand why nothing is happening. My question or my answer to him would be is that you will not see any growth if you are not out in the field laboring and working. And so it is with us. Let us be obedient as workers and laborers, planting and watering seeds of this good news, going to sleep, waking up, trusting that God is working in the hearts of people. What a glorious passage we have looked at this morning. The Savior's birth. God humbly took on the form of flesh. What an amazing mystery that is. That we've seen His purpose, that He has come to seek out and save the least likely. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We see this purpose right away as shepherds. Shepherds are told about the Savior first. And we see what it looks like to have a transformed heart, telling and treasuring the Savior above all else. This is the amazing birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let us go from here glorifying all we have seen and all that has been told us according to God's word. Amen. Let's pray.